0: About my college age, so 1920, I not the year 1920, 19, 20. The English language is very funny, isn't that? So you can literally say 1920, and that could be the year 1920. You can say 1920. This is an aside, not part of the message. Isn't that funny? You laughed. So it was not the year 1920. I I would have aged really, really well, right? Like if I that'd be amazing. No. So I was 19 or 20 years old, and I'm in college. Now, when we send our young people away to college um, and and they grow up in the church, they, of course, first thing they do is get involved in a church, right? And they go every Sunday. And uh, Bible study on Wednesdays, right? And uh, never any poor decisions or anything in college, right? I mean, our young people, they're changing the world, right? So the reality is, is when when we go off to college, uh, we try to find ourselves. So like anyone else, around 19... Or 20, see, not the year 1920, 19 or 20, I was in the process of kind of finding myself. So I did not immediately, as much as I maybe told my parents, I was looking for churches. Uh, here's a key if your college student ever says, Hi, I'm looking for churches, that means they're not looking for churches. But regardless, so after a little while, I decide. That I have something missing in my life. I've always had faith, and I've always had a strong church connection, and so I start going to a campus ministry at my school. I go to Campus Crusade for Christ. We called it OCF, Otterbein Christian Fellowship, but it was run by crew. And so I start going, and I start getting to know people and connecting them, and they say, hey, you should come to church with me. And one of the things that happens is I meet this guy, Brandon, and Brandon says, hey, You kind of haven't been going to church, but church is really important to you. And instead of being weird about the fact that you don't go to church, you should come to a church that doesn't exist yet because no one goes to that church. And so he said, I want you to meet this guy, Simon. Simon is going to be planting a church in about six months, and I'd love for him to meet you. I think you guys would get along really well, and you could be part of the planting team. And so I met Simon. We went out to uh, lunch, the three of us clicked. It went really well. And I got to know him. I got to know the people of that church planting um, group. This was through the vineyard. And we got ready to plant the church, and I was involved in the launch of that church. And during those years, I had this wonderful kind of, if we think of the New Testament, a very Paul and Timothy relationship with Simon, the pastor. But after about a year, um, my time there comes to an end, not from anything bad not from a blow-up, not from any sort of falling out, but like a lot of things, something good was there, and things life just kind of got in the way. I didn't stay with there. I actually ended up taking a job at another church, and eventually I moved back here, and eventually am now at Plymouth United Methodist Church, which becomes Faith Community Church, and first the music director for a while, etc. But during that time, I had this unfinished business in my life where I never went back to the church that I helped plant. I didn't contact my pastor. I didn't contact anyone from that church, not from anything bad. You know, I think of the reasons. I think of um, some of the reasons maybe is that I just felt kind of weird about ending without any clear, any clear reason. I felt kind of weird about, you know, uh, if I go back, um, what will that be like? I had all these different things. Even though during that time, when we would go out and visit Ohio, my wife would go to that church. When they got the new building, my wife went to that church. Even though every time she went out, she'd say, Hey David, you should you should come with me, it'll be great, it'll be really positive. And I just didn't. I had Simon's cell phone number, I didn't reach out to him. I had all the contacts of the people from that church and Reese and other people, and I didn't reach out to them. I had unfinished business in my life. Many of us have similar things like that. Many of us have unfinished business in our lives. And I want you to think for a moment, what is the unfinished business you may have in your life? Now, it could be a lot of different things. Sometimes, it's you didn't have closure. So like like my situation, I'm saying, something good started and you just didn't have closure and there's unfinished business. Sometimes, you can have started something, maybe a new job, And the company went out of business and you had all these wonderful relationships and they're just all kind of not there anymore not really from your fault but you just have this unfinished business now sometimes you start a venture and it seems to be really good and you're excited about this but life gets in the way and we're going to talk about all different reasons why you could have unfinished business but this is really biblical there's this guy caleb we have these wonderful characters These biblical figures. And this guy, Caleb, I want to talk to you a little bit about his journey. When we think of the Old Testament, we think of Abraham, we think of Moses, we think of Joshua. But who's the other guy with Joshua? Joshua and Caleb. So I want to show us, what is the deal with Caleb? We have this whole thing. If you're going through us with through the Bible in a year, we started with Genesis. Let's review. Ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books, those are called a couple things, right? Those are called the books of Moses. Those are called the Pentateuch. Those are called the Torah. But now after that, we have the book of Joshua. And there's another character. There's this guy, Caleb, because what we had is early on in the book of Numbers, which is the fourth book, which Numbers, what is Numbers? Numbers is where they count all the different tribes of Israel, and then they go through the wilderness, and they start by saying, hey, We've come out of Egypt, that's the Exodus. We've come out of Egypt, and now it's time to go into the promised land. Israel was not configured like we are with like states. They had ethnic tribes. So the 12 tribes of Israel, they picked one delegate from each tribe, and they sent him into the promised land. For the tribe of Judah, Caleb was that delegate. And they go in, and Caleb's really excited. He says, this is great. God is with us, it's a beautiful land, God's promised it. He's going to be with us. Every problem here is solvable. We're good. A lot, of the other tri- uh, a lot of the other spies, 10 of them, freak out, and they panic. And then there's nearly a riot, and that's in Numbers 14. And Joshua and Caleb, Joshua that the book's named after, they stand together, but everybody else panics, and everybody else just says, this isn't going to work. They freak out. Joshua and Caleb literally fall on the ground. They literally rip their clothes, and they say, hey... This isn't okay. God has promised us this. It's going to work out. We got to trust God. We got to be faithful. But the other people just panic. We see this often that happens in our lives, right? Where something good starts and some other people panic, and that makes it hard. But a little bit later in Numbers, Joshua and Caleb are selected that, hey, even though this whole generation has panicked and this whole generation has freaked out, what's going to happen? is that you two are going to be the ones who are going to survive, and you're going to get to go into the promised land. But then 45 years pass. Think about what was 45 years ago. It's 2023. What was 45 years ago? Someone shout out the the date. What year was that? 1978. So imagine that you got something really exciting that you have in your life, and you're ready to trust God, and in 1978 you make a decision, hey, I'm ready to do it, let's do it. And then you wait until today. And now it's 45 years later, and that's where Caleb is. So he waits, but now, and that's where we are in the text, he's ready to take Hebron. Now, in the Bible, one of the things we have to do is sometimes things that really made sense in the ancient world don't make any sense to us. Is anybody excited to take Hebron in your life? No, we're like, what is that, right? Okay, so what's Hebron? So I'm going to show you this picture. So this right here is actually... Um, This is a church that was built around what's called the Cave of the Patriarch. So Hebron has a couple really important, significant things about it in the Bible. First of all, in Genesis, you got this guy Abraham and this guy Lot. He's actually called Abram at the time. And they were journeying together, and they get to the point where they can't stay together. They've got to peacefully separate. And Abram says to Lot, hey, let's divide the land in half. You go one way, I'll go the other, you pick. And Lot picks... And then Abram settles in Hebron. Okay, and so then that's where everybody's buried. So Abram and Sarah, Sarai, Sarah, are buried there. Then his son Isaac and Rebekah are buried there. Then Jacob and Leah are all buried there. So really important place. So there's significance. Then when Caleb, generations later, hundreds of years later, goes in with the spies to the promised land, they're in Hebron, and this is where they say, this is good land. Only Caleb and Joshua are faithful, and Joshua is going to lead the conquest, and Caleb is promised, hey, this is going to be your spot. But again, we can say, why is that significant? Here's why it's significant. There's something really important with the gospel message that we see here. Hebron is literally where the Davidic line, King David, started. And why does the Davidic line matter? Why Why does that? Because who comes out of the line of David? Jesus. The first seven years, so Hebron is where King David is literally anointed, is not anointed, but he begins his kingship. He's anointed earlier as a little kid, but he begins, and for seven years, he's king here at Hebron before moving. Now, here is our big idea for today. We know that Caleb had something good start in his life and then had to wait, but he had unfinished business. For each of us, we probably have some sort of unfinished business in our life, and here's our big idea. With God, today, I can start finishing my unfinished business. It can be, and we're going to talk about all different reasons we can have unfinished business, but with God, it's possible. Not with human effort, not by just white-knuckling, and anybody good white-knuckler? Anybody really good at that? Hey, if I if I just dig a little more, oh, then we'll God, oh, I've got to just hold on a little tighter. No. With God, that that automatically is a posture of letting go and letting God, right, to use the cliche, but it's true, right? With God today, not tomorrow, today, I can start the process, or I can just simply start finishing my unfinished business. And we're gonna see that really clearly in the text. We're gonna, I read it before. We're going to see that Caleb has this thing in his life because here's why. When I have unfinished business, something good started, but life got in the way. I'm going to read part of the text here because what we see is that Caleb was faithful when pretty much no one else was. That was something good, but life got in the way. Sometimes for us, we are ready to do the right thing and other people just aren't ready and we say, hey, I'm ready for my whole family to follow Jesus, and they're just not ready. And that's just the reality. And and if I grab a Bible and hit them over the head with it, they're still not necessarily going to be ready to follow Jesus. So I don't have to be a jerk about it. I can sometimes say, hey, God, I have unfinished business. I need your help with this because something good has started. I've had this inward change in my heart. I'm ready to follow Jesus with my whole being. But clearly not everybody else is. Lord, would you... Continue allow me to be faithful. Would you, do, would you work in that situation and pray about it? But let's see what happens with Caleb. I was 40 years old. This is verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Caleb was on board. He was on board, right? Something good started. He said, God, you've said you're going you're gonna to get the promised land for us. I see it. I see the vision. I, I'm so there. Yes, let's do it. Not everybody else was. The people's fear in inaction wasn't his fault, though. It's not like Caleb, I cannot control people, places, or things. Caleb could not control the people. They were all panicking. Caleb could tear his clothes and say, God, I... I I'm not part of this. I'm really upset about this. I want to trust you. And then he had to wait. Now, I love using object lessons. And sometimes you've seen me bring objects. I'm going to use something so big that I couldn't carry it into worship. In Scotland, shout out to Scotland. In Scotland, I couldn't carry it with me. There's the National Monument of Scotland. Isn't it beautiful? Construction began in 1826. I want you to think about it for a second. Look at it. Construction began in 1826. Does that look finished? It's not finished. It was supposed to look like the Parthenon. It was supposed to be this wonderful, beautiful statue. I'm not getting into history because I want to use it as an object lesson instead. For the first three years, 1826 to 1829, construction began, then it stopped. It was mainly because of financial backing issues. But we have things like that in our life. Sometimes the monument stops getting built to something good because of various reasons. But we have this in our life. This is what unfinished business is like. When we see the vision, a Parthenon on this beautiful part of Edinburgh would be amazing. Has anyone been to Edinburgh? Couple people, yeah, okay. Is not Edinburgh, I've heard it's beautiful, okay? That would be amazing, we see the vision, but construction stopped. There's been six formal attempts at least to finish the construction of this monument but it hasn't happened yet in our lives we have things like the national monument of scotland which lay unfinished that's what our unfinished business is like i asked you at the beginning what is your thing i gave you one i have like nine but i gave you one piece of unfinished business for my life what is yours now here's what i want to do to break it down what gets in the way what gets in the way Couple different things. So if we're trying to build that monument, these apply to the monument, these apply to our unfinished business, they apply to Caleb. The first one is the actions of others. Caleb was trying to do the right thing and other people just, their actions got in the way. That happens with us. Hey, I'm ready to do blank and I'm ready to be faithful, but people are not on board and they create a mess and it's not that I'm disobedient but the mess slows me down. That happens. Can we agree? Do we find times like this? Next one, because we gotta, we got to make sure if we're going to blame other people, which we're not blaming, we're being honest, we got to start by really saying my own behaviors, right? My cycles. My cycles of pride. My cycles of fear. My cycles of addiction. My cycles of whatever. You fill in the blank here. This gets in the way. Something good starts, and that's amazing, We're starting to build that Parthenon, but my own behavior's getting in the way. What else? I think we gotta include this one too. Big events outside of my control. I'm excited because I work for a new company and it's gonna be great and I see the vision. It's a non-profit, we're gonna change the world. And then funding falls apart and it goes out of business. That's a big event outside of my control. Now, I still had a vision, not for the company, but I was there in that nonprofit, right? I'm using a metaphor. I was there to do good. I was there to help. The, the unfinished business was not working for the company. The unfinished business was the impact I could have made. But a big event outside of my control, a big family crisis, a big family cancer diagnosis, a big family put in the blank, these create unfinished business, these get in the way. What about one more? Prioritizing other things for a while. That is not bad. That is reality. Hey, I had a desire to become a nurse, but I had to pause that to raise a family. It becomes unfinished business, but I still have this dream to become a nurse. I still have this dream to help people. I still have this dream that I want to make a difference in my community. It's had to be paused, but God... Help me have this path forward to begin finishing this unfinished business because I still want to help people. I still want to bring healing to my community. And so here's my question. For you, which of these, with your unfinished business, I've asked you to be vulnerable and think of a piece of unfinished business in your life. For Caleb, which one was it? It was the actions of others. Caleb was on board. It was also big events outside of his control. It was also prioritizing other things wasn't really his behaviors, because Caleb just said, let's do it. Okay, so there's one, but we can't stop there. If I have unfinished business, I can remember God's promises. Let's look in the text, so we keep going, and it says this. Here's Caleb talking to Joshua. So, verse 9, that day, Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan, on which you were just walking, will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So they're having this conversation. Remember, this is 45 years later. Moses had seen Caleb's heart. Have we ever had this where you see the vision and you're saying, God, you know, I'm ready to serve you. and Your heart's there. But now other things got in the way. Moses had seen Caleb's heart and made a promise to him. Now you can say, David, this is confusing because you say I can remember God's promises, but this sounds like Moses' promise. So here's where we got to nuance it a little bit. Yes, you're right. Has anybody talked to Moses recently? Anybody, anybody a personal friend? No? Nick, you're a personal friend of Moses, right? Mo, uh, Nick doesn't know Moses. I find that surprising. Okay, so here's the thing we got to nuance uh, with the Old Testament. The prophets of then are not here today. And what we know about the Bible is the Bible is complete. We have all the revelation we need. Everything for salvation is in the Bible. Therefore, in their day, Moses was the mouthpiece of God and interpreted God's promises. And so when we think of the first five books, let's review Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, Pentateuch, Torah, there's your church words. Now, those are the books of Moses. Moses takes God's words and puts them there, and Moses gives this promise to Joshua. This is a promise from God to Joshua, uh, promise to Caleb, from God to Caleb via Moses. Now, we don't have that relationship with Moses. We don't have Moses here with us. So what do we have instead? We have the Bible which has some of God's promises in it. Now, we could do a series because there's like hundreds of promises. You can you can look on if you go on Google and type in God's promises in the Bible PDF, you'll get a list like this. What are some of God's recorded promises? Because if I have unfinished business, I want to remember some of these promises. There are promises of God that apply to my unfinished business. If something good started And life got in the way. I can remember some of these recorded promises to help me because our big idea, remember what that is, with God, today I can start finishing my unfinished business. I can remember some of these promises. I'm not going to do 100. I'm going to do three. These are all from the Old Testament, and all of these we can apply. Number one from Isaiah. I'm going to summarize it for you, then I'll read it. Here's a great promise. If you're dealing with unfinished business... God says, "I will be right there with you in your most difficult trials." Anybody like that idea? Sounds good, right? Let's hear what it actually says. So here's this is the prophet Isaiah. When you go through deep waters, I and the I is not Isaiah; it's God. I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, oh, that sounds like uh, potty training a three-year-old, by the way. Rivers of difficulty, uh, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. In other words, we remember I will be right there with you in your most difficult trial, says God. When we're going through something and we have unfinished business, one of the big things that happens is we can flinch, right? We can panic. We're being faithful. Suddenly, oh, oh no, this is shaking me. This is too much. But if we remember, God will be with us in our most difficult trials. It gives us the ability to not panic. I love David Blaine. Does anyone know who the illusionist and endurance artist is, David Blaine? I love David Blaine. Okay, David Blaine does this thing. Who's ever tried to hold your breath underwater for a minute? It's awful. Who's ever tried to hold your breath for two minutes underwater? It's awful. Who's ever tried to hold your breath for three minutes underwater? If you put your hand up, you're lying, okay? (laughs) I saw one hand. I won't call out who it is. Now, do you know how many minutes he held his breath for? 17 and a half. You can watch it. He did it on, um, I think it was on Oprah, right? Help me out. Oprah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so 17 and a half minutes. Do you know how he did it? What he talks about afterwards is he said the biggest thing he had to be careful of is if he would have panicked and done this at all, his lungs would have filled up with carbon dioxide. Sometimes simply not panicking makes a huge difference in our lives. When we're trying to deal with that unfinished business, yeah, it could be from the actions of others, but if we start panicking, now it's our behavior, right? Yeah, it could be the situation outside of our control, but if I start panicking, now it's my behavior. Are you with me? Okay, here's another promise of God. I like this from Obadiah. Any, any Obadiah fans? Here's Obadiah. He only got one chapter, but it's a good chapter. Obadiah 121. It's in the Old Testament. We'll read it if you're with us in the, uh, through the Bible for your reading plan or the podcast. We're going to get to Obadiah later this spring. Those who have been rescued will go up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to rule over the mountains of Edom, and the Lord himself will be king. God says, I'm your ultimate king. Well, what about my difficult boss? Nope. I'm your ultimate king. Well, what about the difficult person in the grocery store who I've got 13 items in my infant and they won't let me through? No, I'm your ultimate king. Well, okay, what about the person who just gives me a really, really hard time in blank? Nope, I'm your ultimate king. What about the elected official that I I don't overly love? Nope, I'm your ultimate king. Now, why does that matter? Because if God is our ultimate king, whose authority matters? God's. If God is our ultimate king, whose approval matters? God's. If God is our ultimate king, who are we ultimately accountable to? God. I am your ultimate king. Now, one more. This is from the book of Hosea. I love Hosea. Hosea is another great one. If you're, any, any Hosea superfans? Oh, Hosea is so great. We're gonna get there. Okay, a little bit later, here's another promise of God. I will answer your prayers because I care for you. Anybody ever pray and feel unanswered, feel unheard? Let's be honest, right? Thank you. There's other, other hands that did not go up, but we felt, we've everybody's felt this one. I'm gonna be honest. But God says, I will answer your prayers because I care for you. Let's go into depth on this one. Because if we're dealing with that unfinished business with God, today I can start finishing my unfinished business. Okay, God, I'm praying to you, what's going to happen? Here's what it says. Oh, Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that's always green. All your fruit comes from me. Someone who doesn't care for you doesn't give you a way to contact them. Anybody a big Tom Cruise fan? Tom Cruise doesn't care about you. Does anyone have a cell phone number? If he cared about you, he'd give you his cell phone. He wants you to watch his movie. It's okay, right? But he doesn't care about you. Celine Dion, who likes Celine Dion? She also does not personally care about you. She wants you to listen to her music, but do you have her cell phone number? Let's do one more. I talked about David Blaine. Who likes David Blaine? David Blaine's terrific. Does David Blaine personally care about you? He does not. You do not have his cell phone number. God has given us a way to contact him. God cares about us and therefore gives us not his cell phone number, but prayer. I think about it when I was younger. You know, cell phones are so commonplace now, but those of us who are old, right? Old? Can you agree? Old man right here? Uh, I'm as old as Methuselah. No, not really. Uh, There's a a little biblical Easter egg. Anybody give me the reference on that afterwards and I'll buy you a, a Hershey's bar. Now, Old as Methuselah, that, that's it. I'm not kidding. Um, Hershey bars aren't that expensive, so we'll be good. I'll, I'll buy them for you. Um, you just got to let me know. Now, cell phones were not always everybody had them. My parents gave me a cell phone when I was like 16 years old. That was kind of early back then to give someone a cell phone. Why did they give me a cell phone? Because they cared about me and wanted me to be able to stay in contact with them, Right? God has done the same thing for us. So we can remember these promises when we're dealing with our unfinished business. Now, here is the thing. If you brought a Bible with you, if you brought your phone with you and it has the Bible, the Bible has the promises of God in it. At the Asbury outpouring, they said this, and I really like this, and I'm going to have us say it. I'll say it once. If you've got a Bible with you, you can just put your hand on it. If you've got your pocket Bible, your phone, put your hand on that. If you want to put your hand on a pew Bible. But we want to remember God's promises. This is the Word of God, and we believe it. Let's try it. This is the Word of God, and we believe it. In our difficult trials, as we're looking at unfinished business, that is the reality. So here's my question for you. If that's the Word of God, and we believe it, what does the Bible say about your unfinished business? Look at some of those promises. Look at those three that I gave you, or look at others. Because the reality is, is that if we say, with God today I can start finishing my unfinished business, something good started, but life got in the way, I can remember God's promises, then, and we see this with Caleb, here's our last part, and this one we're going to call ourselves out. The only person who can disqualify me is me. Can we agree? The only person who can take me out of the football game is me. God is the coach, and he's not going to take me out of the football game. I could take me out of the football game. How do I take myself out of the football game? Well, let's look at, first of all, how Caleb didn't. Here's Caleb. Now, how old is Caleb at this time? Do you remember, before we do the text, how many years old? 85 years old. Young man, right? Well, he says he's a young man. He says, hey, I'm as young and vibrant and vigorous and ready to go as I was all those years ago. Here's what he says. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised, for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even when Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. Caleb had unfinished business for 45 years. You may feel like you have unfinished business in your life, and you may have it for 45 years, but the chances are a lot of our unfinished business is a shorter amount of time. That's a long time to have unfinished business. What could Caleb have done? He could have said, hey, I've got a whole family. You made this promise to me. I understand that promises and covenants are made with families. I'm too old now. Have my son do it. I'm too old now. Have my nephew do it. You honor it, but I'm too old. I'm going to sit and retire. He did not do that. He did not disqualify himself. He didn't say, I'm too old. He said, hey, I'm ready to go. He could have disqualified himself with an excuse. As we're looking at unfinished business, one of the ways we disqualify ourselves is age. There's a bunch of others, and we'll get into those. But age is one of the ways. I want to give you a couple people who didn't disqualify themselves because of age. Let's look at this first one. So there was this guy, Joe Thomas Sr., He was 55 years old, and his son played for the Dallas Cowboys. You can look this up. True story. Joe Thomas Sr. was a wonderful high school player. Absolutely wonderful. And then events in his life got in the way, and he wasn't able to fulfill any of his dream of playing college football. For decades. Not for 45 years, but for decades. Imagine from 17 to 55. And then you know what happened? In 2016 he enrolled at South Carolina State University as a running back on the football team. No, he really did. And he played in the game. And to this day, he holds the record of being the oldest Division I college football player. He didn't disqualify himself. We're using him as a sermon illustration to back up the Bible because he didn't disqualify himself. His decision has done a lot of good. Let's do another one. Michael Butler, at the age of 62, graduated from Trinity School of Medicine in June of 2021 and is now currently in the middle of a three-year residency program. 62 years old, and he graduated from medical school. Something unfinished was in his life. He wanted to help. He wanted to bring healing. He wanted to make a difference. And he didn't disqualify himself. Something good had started in his life earlier He had a desire to serve his community, to serve people, to to have his life make a difference. Then it stopped because of life. But he didn't take himself out. He didn't disqualify himself. Now, doing these examples, we of course have to do Harriet Thompson. Harriet Thompson maybe is the gold standard because that's her age 91 after completing a marathon. I don't even need to address this one. 91 years old completing marathons. If she can do it, so can we, right? Who's the only person who can disqualify you? I'm not saying that at the marathon. I see, I see that. I'm not saying you can run the marathon, but that unfinished business in your life, if she can run the marathon with God, you can finish your unfinished business. Now, so what are some of the reasons we disqualify ourselves? I like using the soccer illustration. Any soccer super fans here? Anybody love soccer or football? The purist would say, David, it's not soccer. It's football okay? The red card, what is the red card? The red card means you're out of the game, okay? But who puts us out of the game? Not God, ourselves, right? We disqualify ourselves. So I want to give you 10 quick ways that we disqualify ourselves, and I want to give you a hint. These are all lies. I'm too old. By the way, I could give you biblical examples on all these, and I might on a few, but these are not all true. These are all not true, If we've got unfinished business in our life, with God we can begin the process of finishing our unfinished business. And the only person who can disqualify us is us when we start to do these. I'm too old. Well, what about Abraham? What about Zechariah and Elizabeth in the New Testament? Well, I'm too busy. Well, what about King David? Well, my past is too messy what about the Apostle Paul who arranged for the murder of Christians? Well, my present is too messy. What about the, uh, Levi, the tax collector, who was literally doing everything he could to destroy people's lives and profit from it? Well, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to even give you a biblical example on that. If you say you're not good enough, that's just garbage, okay? If, next, time, next time you feel like I'm not good enough, I want you to think my pastor told me that is garbage. Can we agree on that? We'll covenant on this. So next time, I'm serious. The next time someone does something, and you think in your head, "I'm not good enough," I want you to remember, David said, "That is garbage." Yes, I am. There's all sorts of biblical stuff, dearly loved, chosen, etc. You can look in Ephesians, Ephesians one and two, if you want to know why you. That's just that's not helpful. With Jesus, we are now. I'm not smart enough. Again, I'm not even going to dignify that because. Did you know that no one in the Bible had a PhD? Think about it. Uneducated, yeah, Uh, no one in the Bible had a PhD. Too educated, read the book of Ecclesiastes. That's all I'll say there. Too easygoing, oh, okay, too easygoing. What about Barnabas? That guy who was, he was so easygoing, they just nicknamed him son of encouragement. His name was Joseph and they call him Barnabas. The reality is, is only we can disqualify ourselves, and it's not helpful. If I have unfinished business, the only person who can disqualify me is who? Is me. So, we have unfinished business. When good was started, but life got in the way. We see that with Caleb. Caleb had the opportunity to be faithful to God. God was doing a thing of sending them into the promised land, and Caleb said, yep, I'm on board. I don't want to put the picture up yet, but I want to resolve my earlier story. So I told you that for years I kept putting off going to this church. For over 10 years I kept putting off going to this church that I helped found. And eventually the pastor who I had the Paul and and Timothy relationship with, he passed away suddenly in his early 40s from a heart attack and I didn't go to the funeral. Not from a bad reason, just again fear or shame or worry or i'm too busy or whatever i disqualified myself and then i decided you know maybe i would do it and then that was about around the time that my daughter was born and i thought okay it would be helpful and we're going to wait on on the next slide it it would be helpful to do that and then something out of my control happened we did have the pandemic and i couldn't travel to ohio That was a big situation outside my control, so I finally couldn't do it. Something good was started. I had this wonderful experience in my college days, planting a church, being part of this discipleship relationship. I still think of the words of Simon when I think of various problems, and I still think of what would Simon do. But things got in the way, life got in the way. And so finally, I prayed to God and said, you know what, like, I've done all these excuses, we're going to Ohio, and this was last summer. And I said, we're going to Ohio, and I don't feel ready to do it, but I'm just going to do it. And so my wife and I, and our two kids, went to the church, and I'll show you the picture now. Now, the reason I bring that up is because I asked you what your unfinished business is. That's like one of nine for me. So one down, eight to go you probably have a lot of unfinished business in your life. And it probably goes in one of these four categories. The actions of others, something good started, but the actions of others made it so that, oh, I just can't do it now. That was like Caleb. He was ready to go and nobody else was. And now he had to wait. My own behavior, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a past addiction that you've had to come to terms with. I want to talk about this. I was talking to a dear friend in the church this past week. We had an opportunity to talk about this text with some of the elders in the church. And it was brought to my attention, and I think this is great. There's some times where we see the 12 steps of recovery directly in the Bible, and this is one of those times. The 12 steps were originally six, and one of the steps was about making amends, and it was so important that when they made it from 6 to 12, it actually got broken into two steps. And so no longer was just one. The first one was step eight. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So basically, there was unfinished business in my life, which happened, and it was because of my behavior, a struggle, and I had to become willing to do it. And I've been told, I'm not personally in recovery, but I've been told by my friends in recovery that for many of them, this is the most difficult or one of the most difficult is simply becoming willing to make amends. I kind of saw that in my life on a much smaller scale of going back to Ohio and going to that church. I just wasn't willing. Laura would say, my wife, would say, hey, we should go. And I just wasn't even willing to entertain it. And then the ninth step is once you became willing, here's what step nine says, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others, then doing it with God's help. Now that doesn't just apply to our wonderful friends in recovering. That applies to us with our unfinished business. When we face unfinished business, there's the willingness and there's the doing it. Now I want to go back to our chart with the four. So there's two of them. Let's go back to our chart with the four real quick. Big events outside of my control. I got to accept the things that I can't change that are outside of my control and say, God, something good started, but you're giving me an opportunity now to begin the process of dealing with it. Thank you. Now, today, maybe it's becoming willing, maybe it's doing it, but I'm ready to start moving forward. And again, maybe it was prioritizing other things. Maybe I had this deep desire to help people, to become a nurse, to help people to become a teacher, to become a foster parent. We have a really broken foster care system. I told you that uh, I have like nine pieces of unfinished business. Laura and I, a number of years ago, began the process of becoming foster parents, and because we prioritized other things, we had Ruby and Henry, we've put that off. I don't know if someday we'll be foster parents or we'll be part of a ministry that really doubles down on how do we love and support the foster care community in this area. But the reality is, as that's an unfinished business in my life, maybe we have something like that where we've prioritized other things for a while. But again, I want to go back to this, these two things. Is it about willingness or is it about doing it? If the big idea for today is, with God today I can start finishing my unfinished business, do I need to become willing? And maybe I pray, and we're going to bring the elders of the church forward. We do this at the end of services to give the opportunity to respond, so we'll bring the elders for it. And maybe you are feeling like today you have unfinished business and today is the day to start working on it. And maybe all you got to do is pray for the willingness to do it and begin that process. And maybe you're willing and maybe you say, okay, I have unfinished business with, in my life. With God's help, I can start finishing it. And now I'm gonna pray for the strength to do it. I'm ready. Green means go. Let's do it. So if you have unfinished business in your life, we invite you each Sunday to respond. It can be a brave thing. I'm gonna acknowledge. It can be awkward to stand up in front of a bunch of people and ask for prayer, it's not a silver bullet. But it can be awkward. I want to lean into that awkwardness. I like that awkwardness. Because truthfully, if you don't think it was awkward for Caleb to get up and say, hey, please honor the promise of Moses, that was awkward. He could have just been like, eh, I want to stay comfortable. You know, there was that promise. But God will figure it out some other way. I don't need to make myself vulnerable. In the same way, if we have unfinished business in our lives, I invite you. Do I need to pray for willingness? Or do I need to pray for the readiness to just do it? So I invite you, as the man continues to play and we hear about the battle belonging to God, I invite you, come down. We want to pray with you. Embrace the awkwardness. Let's journey together.